0: Nehemiah ten. It's another long list of names. So I've had to kind of dig into it and get clever. So um some of you recognise a thing like this. Okay. It's a phone. This is for the young people. This is a phone. Um you don't put it in your pocket. Now what I want to talk to about today is how old becomes new, how it transitions so now I know some of you look at this and you're like I remember when I didn't have a phone there's a few of you who remember those days you'd get stuck on the freeway well in the wagon and there was no phone like like what did you do you flagged down people and they helped you and then we got phones and they looked something like this and I don't know if you know Afrikaans but you used to and then you'd get this do you remember that and you'd say, I'm looking for the doctor. Or you'd say, Fafirdri, or whatever your number was. And, and, they, and they would say, no, he's not there. You'd be like, no, but i asked you to dial them. They'd be like, no, I know he's not there because he's at his cousin's house. Because I heard the conversation. They're having a party. There's 12 other people there. You weren't invited. Do you want me to put you through to that party? <laughs> You're like, have that conversation. It's like Google, except it was people. You could phone and, and say, well, what's the weather? And they would tell you. They knew everything. And then we got these kind of phones. And just in case you're wondering, no, there's no camera. Okay, it doesn't have a camera. There's no calculator. Um, it doesn't have a calendar. But nowadays, your cell phone, you pull it out. Cell phone, calendar, camera. Do you see how things change? Still makes phone calls, apparently. We don't do it much, but it is there. And now my daughter, Hope, okay, I give her the phone for a phone call she looks at it and says it's not working I can't see them you see how things change for her generation it's going to be I, I know I can hear you but I can't see you, it must be wrong they'll put the phone down <laughs> and they'll want to dial back because they want to see, see you it's how much things change it's not, it's not wrong, it's not bad it's just stuff moves on and we end up in a different space um, similar stuff, but but different. It's not broken, but it's different. So God is a God of the new. And I say new cautiously because often we think it's new, but it's probably happened somewhere else, and he's planned it and ordained it, and it's been happening way back when. And I guess the question would be, is the Repta today the same as what it was 50 years ago? It obviously isn't. Is church, let's go back 200 years, is church today the same as what it was 200 years ago? I wasn't there, by the way. (laughs) So I'm going to guess based on books that it wasn't. Um, Things change. God kind of refreshes things. My understanding is way back then, they maybe didn't have as much body ministry. They certainly didn't have cell phones. So things were different in how things happened. And so God is doing something. I love the community day because the community day brings us together. It's probably the one thing throughout church history that's always been there is that it's community, the church coming together, being together. Um, You might be wondering why children? Children are that important in the kingdom. And I'll give you a business view. The business view is people between the age of 30 and 40 are probably married and have children. When they come in here one of the first things they do is Are my children looked after? And if you're a church that is evangelizing and want to grow, which is what Zelani wants to do, then looking after the children is important. Because if the children don't enjoy themselves, they leave. And I don't know if you've had the McDonald's problem, but take me to McDonald's because I get a toy. It's that kind of thing. Except we do it because we want to evangelize, not because we're trying to make money and sell. It is quite a difference. Um, I remember being in youth in this building. It's a long time ago. Um, I remember Dave Broderick and Corneille leading the youth. I remember us meeting in the Ferreras house down the road here. I remember at one point the building didn't exist. Ken and Fay had just built the prop- bought the property and there was a container in the middle of the land. And we ran an extension cord. It must have been the longest extension cord known to mankind. We ran it up through the bushes all the way into the garage there where Navstar was. And you plugged it in. We had one light and one kettle. Anything more than that? And the power went off. And then we'd have to go and knock on doors and try and get things turned on. And it was dark. And we'd cut the bushes and we'd meet here at 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night on a Friday night. How things have changed. Charlene, who you've just seen up here, I had a photo of Charlene sitting somewhere around here playing drums in a worship team. And this building did not exist that building did, how things have changed. God keeps moving, taking us to something new. So has an interesting history. I think of Jonathan Silcock going to Russia and some of the people who went with him. I think of Michelle went with him to Russia. She was 14 at the time. You could do that with 14-year-olds back then. You could get them to smuggle Bibles and and medical equipment into Russia. It wasn't a real problem, (laughs) you can only get caught <laughs> but we used to do those kind of things back in the youth and so I'll come back to today what do you have, you have Zalani who was in the youth who's now growing up in the church people like Patrick Sabisi who's in the church and if I look around Julia, Tim I mean I recognize people from the youth that are here Charlene, James oh, I can see people yeah Lots of people around who there's a generation that comes through. And as that generation comes through, the youth changes and the church changes and new things happen. So when I'm reading Nehemiah, I look at Nehemiah and I go, so I'm reading the Old Testament. What does that mean? Because sometimes we look at the Old Testament and we go, this is it. This is church. It's not. It is a shadow of what is coming. The Old Testament is always speaking to us about what's coming in the future. And when you read the Old Testament, you kind of get that. You go, well, so where is this going? And I read Nehemiah, I see that shadow, I see that foundation and that kind of pointer coming out of Nehemiah. It starts, Nehemiah 9:38, 38, and I'm stealing from last week's sermon. It's the last sentence of the chapter, which is quite frustrating. In case you don't know church history, the Bible, when it was written, did not have chapters and verses. It didn't exist. Somewhere around the 1200s. Some clever people put chapters in, and they were put in, roughly speaking. So there's no separation on, there's no logic on how they follow. It was just kind of chapters. Um, and around the 1400s, 1500s, that's when we got verses. And in fact, the New Testament was done around the 1500s by a guy riding on a horse in a cart from one place to another. He was putting verses in because he wanted to print the Bible. So he was like in a rush, get the New Testament done. So sometimes things are not quite there. But Nima 938 talks about how the people get together and they create a binding agreement. And as soon as I see binding agreements, I'm like, whoa, what kind of other agreements do we have in the Bible? And I suddenly jump into covenants. It's about how all the people are coming together and they're talking, let's get together and make agreements. And so we've got a couple of those agreements in the Bible. We've got Noah. Noah has chaos in the world. Now you all remember the looting. Okay. When there's chaos, it means there's no rule of law. People do what they want. And there's an element of the looting where you could see that starting to happen, where people could just do what they want. So imagine before Noah, it's worse than that. You do whatever you want. If you didn't like someone, you kill them. If you wanted a piece of land, you took it. If you wanted a wife, you just took them. You could do what you wanted. If you want 55 wives, you could have them. If you didn't like your husband, you killed them. <laughs> It worked both ways, just in in case I painted it one-sided, okay? (laughs) So it's just chaos. People could do what they want. There was no law. Then we get to Abraham. There's still no law, but obviously things have started all over again. And Abraham is a man who's following God. He's listening to God. And God is starting to establish relationship more with not just Abraham, but he's trying to establish a relationship with that whole family line. And God makes a covenant with Abraham says, the nations will come out of you. And he starts to imply that the Messiah will come out of Abraham's generation. Then we get to Moses, and Moses gets the law. He comes down the mountain with the 12 tablets. And often we, we say, well, it's 12 laws. It's about 613. It's not 12. 12 is just on the tablet. He had more tablets somewhere. I don't know. But the law gets established, and we start to get kind of some kind of system of how we operate. But you can see how it goes from chaos to law and things are slowly improving. There's a, there's a change. And the one is not getting rid of the other. It's just slowly getting better. There's a, there's a change that's happening. And then we get to David. David also has a covenant. Makes a covenant with God. And it's all about his family line and the Messiah. And then finally, we get Jesus, the fulfillment of law. And it talks about the law being written on our hearts and our minds. So we get to the new covenant and Jesus talks about that in Hebrews. He says, not Jesus says, but Paul writes, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. Whenever there was a covenant made, there was often bloodshed. So often you would see in the covenant they would cut animals in half and separate them and walk between them and all the stuff. There was blood involved in making the covenant. Just like the blood that Jesus shed. He shed blood to fulfill the law, to create a new covenant. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. He's explaining the blood again, creating that new covenant. Do you think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets? I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Just on that word, fulfill, it means satisfied. Satisfied or happy, or fully developed. It refers to people. One's ability and talent fully used. So Jesus fulfilled the law in himself. He fulfilled everything he needed to fulfill. And at the same time, the law now was complete, had come to the point where it was completely done and lived out. So we have the 12 commandments. We have 613 laws after that, if you read some of the Old Testament. Michelle and I had the privilege to go to Jerusalem once. Um, and this is, if you look at Orthodox Jews, they try to follow all the laws. So, so one of the commandments is you shall not work on the Sabbath. Okay? So we're in the hotel. It's Sabbath, Friday sundown to Saturday sun, sundown. And um, elevators operate. Okay. We are used to putting, pushing the button. For an Orthodox Jew, they're not allowed pushing the button. Because if you push the button, it's work. Okay? That, this is how bad it can get if you get really religious. I can't push the button. So, what they do is on a schedule on the Friday, the lifts start to go floor by floor. They just go floor one, doors open, doors close. Floor two, open, close. Door three, open, close. Floor four, open, close. Back to the bottom. And it starts all over again. And it does that because. They don't want work. But it shows how law can be turned into something that is quite religious and a problem. And if you get lost in the Old Testament, you can get lost in that law. But in the New Testament, we the law is fulfilled. We move into a completely different place with it. In the Old Testament, we had all these sacrifices. And in particular, they would have the annual sacrifice where they would sacrifice a lamb to get the forgiveness of sins for the entire nation. In the New Testament, Jesus has done it. He was the lamb, sacrificed once and for all, for it all to be complete. You often see Jesus conflicting with the lawyers and religious people. I intentionally put lawyers in there, okay? i got friends who are lawyers, so please don't read that the wrong way. Because lawyers and religious people tend to f- kind of put law as a box. And Jesus comes along, and he picks food on a working day, on a Sabbath, and eats it. And they go, you can't do that. The law says you must not work. And he's going, "Yeah." It's not really a problem. You've misunderstood the application of it, the principle of it. They would say, well, your donkey's stuck in a hole. Don't pull it out. Jesus comes along and goes, why wouldn't you? You've misunderstood the law. Be healed. you can't do healing on a Sunday. You shouldn't be working. (laughs) He's like, I think you've misunderstood the principle. So how we apply stuff is is completely different. And it's to do with where our hearts are and where our minds are. The laws, the covenants and that were all done in public. The laws were exercised in public. And so even here in Nehemiah, you see them gathering all the people around. And it becomes a big thing. We've written it up. It's a public thing. Jesus is beaten and whipped in public to set up that covenant for us. And dies in public. So are there penalties for the law? Well, there are. If you drive too fast on the freeway, you get a fine if they catch you, if they notice, if the camera's working. But you shouldn't be driving fast. But law comes with curse. And so how does that move into the New Testament? Do do we still have curses in the New Testament? Is that what happens? Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. So what he's saying is if you live in a New Testament world and try to follow the law, then you will live under the curse of the law. Does that make sense? But you don't have to live under the law. Curses is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one relies on the law, is justified before God. Very deep sentence that. No one who relies on the law of God is justified before God. So no one is made right before God because of law. And the reason for that is you'll always get it wrong. So if you follow the law, you'll always get it wrong and therefore always be cursed. And therefore, we need to be careful of what it is we follow. And it comes on to then explain what we should be doing. The righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of law, so we've been saved from the curse of law because He became the curse for us. Curse is everyone who lives on the tree. So we move from law and curse to faith and life. In Hebrews 8, which is a quotation of Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After the time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, I will forgive their wickedness. I will remember their sins no more. Jesus dies on the cross and opens up an entire new world for us. Our sins are forgiven, past, present, future. It's all dealt with. We get into, he mentions there, we're ending up in the priesthood of all believers. In 1 Peter, you're like living stones. You're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So in the Old Testament, if you want to hear God, you get hold of a prophet, or you get hold of a priest. You get hold of somebody who has some badge of honor, and then that gets you to God. In the New Testament, every single one of us has access to God. We are given permanent access to God. You can talk to God every day of your life in whatever language you wish. And sometimes you don't even have to talk. He hears your thoughts. He knows what's going on. But you have that access to God, which we wouldn't have had in the Old Testament world. I'm thinking in the Old Testament of the Holy of Holies. Once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. Never any other time. And he had to be really, really good to go into the Holy of Holies. But even there, they weren't sure. So they'd tie a rope on his leg. Because in the presence of God, he could die. And the interesting thing is they put the rope on because it obviously had happened. <laughs> and they would use the rope to pull the person out if something went wrong. Because they don't know if this guy's up to scratch. Now in our world, we all get to be in the presence of God. Our sins are forgiven. He accepts us completely as we are. We've been washed by the blood of Jesus. And through that process, Jesus goes to sit at the right hand of the Father, and we have access to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and touches us and lives in us. And we have the gifts of the Spirit, wisdom, mercy, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, tongues, discerning of spirits we get spirit-filled, and we suddenly experience this new life that takes us into a completely different place as to how we live. And the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. The Bible says you will recognize them by their fruit, by how people operate and how the Holy Spirit is moving through them. We pray um, the Lord's Prayer. And we say, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom coming on earth is because of all of us. Not because of, because of Jesus, but through each of us. So as we give our lives to Jesus, as the Holy Spirit fills us, each one of us is that little flame that takes place in the world that brings God's kingdom. Because we get to forgive people. We get to love people. We get to have mercy on people. And that is God's kingdom. It's all those things that we start to do that brings God's kingdom to the earth as we live out the Holy Spirit in us. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not by yourself, it is not the gift. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so we can't manufacture it, so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God has a plan for every single one of you. It's predestined. You might say, well, I'm too old, I'm done. Bad news. You're not. As long as you have breath, God has purpose for you. He is using you. And if you're young, you got a lot to do. (laughs) But not because you're doing it, but because God is going to live through you. So it's not something you manufacture. It's just allowing the Holy Spirit to move in your life, And to take you to where God wants you to go. And to do the things that he wants you to do. You just get to live it out. It's not rules and regulations. It's a relationship with God. That establishes you and takes you places. Can we all just stand? I would like to just give an opportunity. Some of you I think might be feeling like it's been a long time. And you maybe feel like you need to recommit. To say, Lord, I, I hear you. Uh, I want to recommit to you. I want to be filled by the Holy Spirit, and I want to do your work. There might be some of you in that space. There might be some of you who don't know Jesus at all. You're not Christians. But you want to take that opportunity to say, I accept Jesus. I want to go where he wants to take you. Those are the two people I want to speak to. So if you can all just close your eyes. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for everyone here. I thank you that we are vessels for the Holy Spirit that you live through us and and do your work that you've predetermined in this world for us. And I pray you help us to do that. If you want to just recommit, if you want to recommit your life to Jesus, can you just raise your hand? There's a couple of hands. Okay. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. If you do not know Jesus and you would like to, you, you would like to know him and have him in your heart, can you just raise your hands? Thank you. I'd just like to pray for those people. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone here. I thank you that we love you, that we want to serve you. I pray for an infilling of your Holy Spirit on everybody here today. Holy Spirit, I welcome you here. I welcome you on behalf of everyone I just pray you fill every single person in this room. Fill us to overflowing. Take us to where you want us to go. Do the things you want to do. May we just be vessels for whatever it is you're doing. I pray that you speak to us every day. Guide us every day. Lead us to where you want to go. I thank you, Lord, for the people that who do not know you. I pray that you mightily move in their lives. Introduce yourself to them and just shake them. and take them to where you want them to go i thank you lord that you do that that we can not live in an old world of rules and regulations but live in a world that is spirit driven that is relationship driven that is built on you lord that you would speak to us and lead us and guide us in jesus name amen